Church, welcome. So thrilled that you are here to worship with us. I cannot believe Christmas is almost here. It is quickly approaching. We are, what, 20 days away. And as we prepare our hearts and our minds for Christmas, uh, I want us to root and ground ourselves in the realities of who Jesus is here this morning. Because there are so many things that can just draw our attention away. Um, And it's amazing to me that in this season where we are to celebrate the incarnation of our Lord, that he was born, that there are so many things that can distract us. It's amazing. I mean, just personal, uh, personal story here. A few years back, did anyone grow up with the Dickens Villages in here? Anyone, any parents, uh, you're, you grew up and your parents had Dickens Villages? You know, they light up. One person knows what a Dickens Village is? Anyone? This is weird. Okay, a few more people. You can, it's not, we're not that big of a room. I can see all of you. You're right here, okay? So I grew up having the Dickens Villages, and I was just always enthralled by these things. And right, you would just look down, and you try to look and see, and you imagine these little lives happening in there. Uh, so a few years, so newsflash, they're like worthless today, okay? So if you spent like $9,000 on your Dickens Village collection, I went on eBay three years ago and spent $5 and got like 16 Dickens Villages delivered to my front door. And so all that to say, there are a million little silly things that can distract us. So I have a whole little village and we set them up, but it can distract us. There's all these little trappings that we want to get just right. But if we're not careful, we can miss Jesus in the midst of it all. Those aren't, those aren't evil, bad, or wrong. But if we're not careful, we'll chase all these little things and we'll miss Christ right in the midst of Christmas. And so for a few moments here this morning, uh, I just want us to treasure in our hearts the fact that we have been given the gift of gifts. We have been given the gift of gifts that Jesus, our maker, our creator, our sustainer, and our king put on flesh, and he was born to save you and I from our greatest enemy, death that he tasted death for us so that we do not have to. Um, Now, the Bible over and over again talks about this idea that Jesus is this amazing gift. In fact, Romans 6.23 tells us the wages of sin are death. So our payment for our sin and our rebellion against God is death. But here we go. But the free gift of God that God has given to us, this amazing gift is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That he came to give us life, that he conquered death for us, and that he came to us as the gift of gifts and now gives us life, that God has given to us the greatest gift ever imaginable, and that is his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the greatest gift that we will ever receive. God gave us everything in Jesus, and we cannot miss him this season. We have to... Let our hearts think about him. Let our minds think about him. Let our hearts' affections be drawn to him. Otherwise, there's all these other things that will just want to steal our hearts away. He is the most precious gift that Jesus, our king, went to a cradle and was born in poverty. In poverty. And in humility, he came. And in dependence, he came. Like, listen to the way the Apostle Paul talks about how the Lord Jesus Christ came to us. That he literally put on poverty for us. This is an amazing thought. 
For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Now, he's not talking about dollars. He's not talking, oh, you're going to get wealthy if you just follow Jesus. He's saying that Jesus was rich. He had everything. He was in the kingdom. He was in heaven. He was at the right hand of the throne of God. And he wrapped himself in poverty and humility, and he came down to be with us, that he gave his life so that you and I would receive from the Lord Jesus Christ the wealth of heaven. Isn't that an amazing exchange? It's unthinkable. But that's Christmas. That Jesus became poor for our sake. That he was enthroned in heaven and that King Jesus put on human flesh, born to a humble, poor woman from a know-nothing town. He was announced by outcast shepherds and he was born in what we would call a modern-day garage. Though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor. He put on flesh. So this Christmas, know um, that's what Christ did for us. He is our greatest treasure. He is our greatest hope. He is who we cling to. Let all those secondary things just be that secondary and let's make Jesus our heart's affections because he came and he put on flesh and he was king and he came to a cradle to give us life and to make us rich with the things of God, not the things of this world. All right, so we're gonna look at just two things here this morning. We're gonna look at uh, the setting of the birth of Christ and then we're going to look at the meaning of his, ver- of his birth through this famous passage in Luke 2. So I'm going to read Luke 2, 1 through 14 this morning, and then we're going to unpack a few things um, as we move along. This is the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, Luke 2, 1 through 14. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Uh, any new moms out there? It's a great name to put into the hopper, just for consideration. Quirinius. It took me two hours to learn how to say that. Um, verse 3. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, (laughs) the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And there suddenly 
there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So here in Luke 2, we have what could be one of the most read Bible texts in all of the scriptures. It is a toss-up between this one and maybe Psalm 23, Luke 2, the incarnation of our Lord, the Christmas narrative of Jesus putting on flesh that God would become man. This is the story. This is the moment. These are the verses that the entire Old Testament is leading up to. All of the Old Testament is leading up to these words. And this is the entirety of the New Testament is the fountain of Luke 2, 1 through 20. This is monumental. This is, these are no small verses. This is a focal point of the Bible. This is an apex point of our Bible. This text is one of the centerpieces of all of human history, the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. God does not want us to miss this. God does not want us to miss this birth account. In fact, in the Bible, we have more information on funerals than we do on birth narratives. But here, in Luke 2, we have this one individual record in the entire Bible where the entire birth is laid out. We see in this story worship. We see angels. We see creation pointing to him. His birth has cosmic implications. Here we see in this story, in Luke 2, that there's a God, that we are sinners, that our works cannot save us, And here we see a God that intersects humanity with the greatest announcement ever made in verse 14. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, shalom among those with whom he is pleased. Why? Because the Savior's come. Because a baby was born and laid in a manger in poverty and in humility. So here, what is the, the, at the very beginning, what does this beginning section tell us? At the beginning where we see a, a lot of things, but one we're going we're gonna to make note of here this morning is that the birth of Jesus, this is important, is historical. Is historical. It's happening. How do we, like, what, what do I mean here? It's, it's happening during the reign of Caesar Augustus. So it mentions these big characters. We learn the name of his steward, right? That wonderful name, Quirinius. And so this narrows the time when Jesus was born. This text also mentions a very physical city, the city of David, with very specific people. We have Mary and we have Joseph. So what do we know here? There is no thinking that Jesus, our Savior, has come as some concept, our construct in our hearts and in our minds. That Jesus didn't just come as a feeling so that we could all get real close to God. Jesus came in reality, in history, in a town, born to parents that you can find, in a city that we know is real, in a very real place under the reign of this king with this steward. The Bible wants us to know without a shadow of a doubt that the birth of Jesus happened. It is historical. And it happened right here. 
in this very specific way. He is not a feeling. He is not a construct. It is not just a spirit. Jesus was born. God became a baby and was put in a manger. Um, he is very real. This is God invading our real humanity. That's our God. That God came to be with us, Emmanuel, God with us. Throughout the Bible from cover to cover, we see God actually becoming involved in human history. That's why the first four words of the Bible are not once upon a time. The first four words of the Bible are in the beginning, God. God. It is not a fairy tale. It is not a construct of our imagination. God intersects the real world that you and I live in. God is involved. He's involved. God has come to be with us. And this account of God invading human history is unlike any other account uh, that's ever been written. We have other accounts of God's invading human history. We've got, right, we've got these God-like men. We've got Herculean-like men. We've got the Titans. We've got the Roman gods. We've got the Greek gods. We've got all their powers. We've got their origin stories. We've got Marvel, right, that's made a whole, it's like the multi-billion dollar industry on these superhero, super mutant men becoming Superman or super whatever. This one is unlike any of them. This story is unique. This is not a story of half God, half man. This is a common baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, placed in a donkey's feeding trough. The incarnation of Jesus, of God becoming man, like us in all ways. We can't turn stones into bread. He won't turn stones into bread. We can't take ourselves down off the cross. He won't take himself down off the cross. We get thirsty. He stops by a well to drink. We don't have uh, stories of Jesus' superpowers when he was a boy as he's discovering them, right? The only one that we have of him as a child as he grows up is he's in the synagogue teaching the scriptures, pointing people to God and showing his dependence on God through the word of God. He keeps pointing them back. And here at the beginning... We have Jesus, God, becoming a man, born into obscurity. This is a less than common birth. He laid aside his glory and he took on the form of a bondservant. He was made in the likeness of men and he took on flesh and he took on even poverty. To call us sons and daughters. God is wise. He is also humble. Jesus could have been born in Rome. He could have been born in a palace. He could have been born in a classy place if God cared about those things. But Christ, our Savior, our Lord, was born in a dumpy village that few people in the world cared about. There wasn't even room for him in the end. Um, 
Mary and Joseph had to go stay in the barn. The birth of Jesus, there was no privacy. There was no comfort. When he was born, he's placed to rest in this feeding trough. Everything about this account of the Lord Jesus points to obscurity. Everything about this account points to poverty. Everything about this account points to hardship. We can only imagine what Mary went through, what Joseph went through, what they had to endure. But under the word of the Lord given to them, they obeyed and they followed. And when the Savior of the world needed to go down for a rest, for a nap, he didn't have a nursery. He was in the garage. Now, although there is nothing spectacular about how he was born, uh, the events surrounding his birth are glorious. And God wants us to know that. This child is announced by Gabriel, the angel, and then a multitude, basically an angelic army shows up and sings a song in agreeance with Gabriel that glory to God in the highest because this boy is born, that God is now dwelling here on earth. So although he was born in a gutter, although he was born in a know-nothing town to a woman of no stature, God gives witness that although he was common, although he was lowly, although he's born into poverty and obscurity, this is not just any baby. This is our Savior, Christ, the Lord. What a God we have. And although God is glorified by this baby, by Jesus, it's clear, even at the very outset, that this baby, that Jesus is born to save men and women from their sin who believe by faith. Listen to these amazing words. We have the gospel proclamation at the very beginning of his birth, Luke 2, 11, for unto you, this is personal, for unto you, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And then the angels sing a heavenly song, verse 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The incarnation of Jesus, the birth of Jesus happens so that men and women like you and I can be saved from our sin. So that we can have peace with God. So that we can have peace with each other. That's why he came. And it's for one mighty purpose. For the glory of God. That we would be saved that we would be secured, that we would be ushered into the family of God and that we would have peace with each other, we would have peace with God, all for what, what purpose? So that God would be glorified. The glory of God. Glory to God in the highest. Right? That's why the angel said to the shepherds that night that he was born, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Don't be afraid. I'm bringing you the gospel. So Christmas tells us that 
we no longer have to fear. Um, that our Savior has come and that he's here to win a victory, but he came and he's going to win in such a way that no one ever expected. Born in poverty so that we might become rich in him. The Christmas story is incredible. And if we were to stop and really fully just let our hearts rest in the realities of the story, it would become so much more to us than the Charlie Brown moment or all the other things that we like to just run headlong after. It, this, I mean, this is incredible news. And it should just enrapture our hearts and make us fall down on our knees and worship Jesus that he would come in such a way and be born in such a way and be born into poverty so that we who were poor could become rich in God. And we don't have to fear. Fear not. So here we see God accomplishing his purpose in the most unlikely way. God is wise. He is powerful. And he's taking back what is his through this birth of this humble baby boy. He's gathering to himself a people. And what's interesting, what I, the Christmas story and Christianity never calls us to take a leap of faith. Um, it, it, it's, it, it doesn't explain the Christian faith in that way at all. The gospel tells us that the Son of God literally leapt down into our reality for us so that we don't have to take a leap of faith and hope it all pays off in the end. That Jesus, the Son of God, went from heaven and crowned in glory and rich in all of what heaven had to offer, and he came down in poverty and humility. He leapt down into our reality so that we didn't have to take a leap of faith. He did all the work for us. We just have to embrace him, the fact that he has come, that he has arrived. We don't have to have wishful thinking, sentimentality. Christmas is not about that. It's about the Son of God enthroned in glory that came down to us and for us to save us for the glory of God. The gospel is that God acted for you. Fear not, for I bring you news of great joy that is for all the people. Christmas is not about closing your eyes and jumping and hoping it all goes well. It's about the realities of what God has done for us. Good news, the gospel. Not what you have to do, but what God has done for you. Through Jesus, our Lord. Um, second thing we're going to look at, we're almost done, is what is the meaning of his birth? It tells us here. Let's look at verses 10 and 11. Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I'm going to go those three words and then we'll be done. Savior, Christ, and Lord. So first, Savior. What does that mean? So our word, when we hear the word Savior today, it is just packed full of sort of religious symbolism, right? It's just sort of a... Uh, I mean, we almost are inoculated to the term. It's like, oh, Savior, that just means church word. That's church language. In those days, Savior would have been used quite often. Uh, you had, uh, we have accounts of this word Savior uh, with uh, great, great 
like political figures or these heroic figures are people who benefited society in this major way and this major contribution that they brought to bear these, these earth-changing, these society-changing kind of moments. So when the angels declare that a savior is, com- is coming, it wasn't just in a religious context they were thinking. It was in reality. There is someone coming who is going to have pervasive change in our world today that will be brought to bear on my life. So Savior meant someone who preserves life, someone who prevents disaster, someone who holds society together. That's the historical context of this word Savior. And the angels come and say, glory to God in the highest. There is someone coming and he is going to be a Savior to you. He is going to be a protector. He is going to bring you life and he's going to prevent disaster and he's going to hold all things together. That's why the angels chose that word. Jesus is our true and better hero, better than any hero that the world has ever constructed. Second word, Christ. Christ means the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. Now we're getting religious. Everything you've ever thought about in the Old Testament, everything you've ever read about, everything you, that this Messiah that will one day come, that you are banking on, that you are hoping for, that you are praying toward, that the people of God have been begging would come, he has come. He is nothing like what you thought, and he is not coming in the way that you thought, but he has come. Our Messiah, our Christ has It means the anointed one, the Christ. The one with access to the spirit of God without measure. The Messiah is the perfect second Adam coming to relaunch a new people of God based on the character and nature of God. He came. Third, Lord. So Savior, Christ, and finally Lord. Forty times in the book of Acts, the Christians refer to Jesus as Lord. They couldn't think about him in any other way. One of the early Christian confessions that they would say to one another was simply this, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and that we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The early Christians, by faith, saw Jesus as Lord, as sovereign, as king. And Jesus was helping them. He was defending them. He was empowering them. He was providing for them. He was leading them. He was correcting them. He was present with them no matter what they were facing. The Bible says that he is the Lord of lords. There is none higher. There is no other Lord above him. The Bible says about this Jesus, about this one that put on flesh, that came and born as a baby, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord above all. Now, if this truth of Jesus is revealed to us in Christmas, that means something for us today. Um, If he is Lord for you, And for me, 
That means Jesus as Lord is a threat to all the other false lords that we fabricate in our lives. It means that he is a real threat today to all the other lords and all the other false saviors, if you will, that we construct in our lives, that we run after today. So what are some that we bow down to, that we chase, that we run after? And we could stand up here for hours and list them. Some of them have to do, have to do with power that we want more of. So create some lords and saviors that will give us more of that, that we chase. Some of them have to do with comfort. We just want more of comfort. We want ease. And so we construct some lords and saviors that will give us and provide for us more comforts. Some of us want control. We want to make sure that nothing is outside of our grasp. And so we create these saviors and lords that we chase after and we spend our resources and our worship on that make sure they provide for us more and more control over our lives that oftentimes seem out of control. But these false lords that we chase after, that we construct all too often, um, they always condemn us in the end. And they always find fault with us. And they always bully us. And they always drag you down. And they show you where you failed and where you didn't measure up and where you got it wrong. And in the end, they want to humiliate us because they never can follow through with their great promises and they can never forgive us when we mess up. But how did our Lord come to us? The real king, the real savior, the real Lord came like this. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. He was easy to find. He was real. Only God would do that. Our Lord shows us and he comes in the form of a baby and in poverty and in total humility that he came to be with us. Christmas tells us that Jesus is our only true savior. He's our only true Messiah. He is our only true Lord and he comes bringing the good news of the gospel that in him we have life, we have grace, we have forgiveness and that Jesus came into this world to give that to us all for the glory of God for those that would bend a knee to this baby that came that ultimately went to a cross that ultimately conquered our greatest enemy death and rose again and is right now ruling and reigning at the right hand of God the story of Christmas is amazing. That's what Christmas is all about. That's what it points to. And the good news is, is that this one that came long ago will come again one day. And when he comes again, he will eradicate evil. He will renew the entire world and he will receive to himself his people that who have embraced him as savior and as Christ and as Lord. Last Christmas. Let's pray together, church. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it shows us so clearly that Jesus was born in poverty, that he was born in humility, that he did not come as a construct, that he was born into our reality to save us. 
Lord, that you sent him to be our savior, to be our Christ, and to be our Lord. And so God, I pray if there's any here this morning that don't know the Lord Jesus Christ in that way as savior, as Messiah, as Christ, and as Lord God, that you would move in their hearts, God, and that they, in this time, would bend a knee to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and that the power of God would flood onto them. Lord, that you would forgive them of their sin, that you would give them life, and that you'd give them purpose as God's people, God. And Lord, for those of us in this room that have known you for a long time, God, I pray for each of our own hearts, Lord, that get uh, drifted away with all the different things of the season. And God, I pray that all of those things would just be secondary to the very primary reality that our Savior and our Christ and our Lord has come to be with us, that he has saved us, that he has rescued us from death and destruction, and that he has given to us all of who he is, that we are now rich in God because he became poor for us. And that this Christmas we would treasure that in our hearts. And it would compel within us a heart of worship to you, Lord. We thank you. In Christ's name, we pray these things. Amen.